Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson and I'm in conversation with Jeff Mead. Jeff Mead is the former Europe editor of the Press Association. Jeff, we're going to talk about Boris Johnson, the UK's new Prime Minister, but from the perspective of his, his early career, going back 30 years now, as a journalist in Brussels, you'd already been running the Brussels office of the Press Association for about 10 years when he turned up. So what were your first impressions of Boris Johnson, the journalist? Well, uh, it's true to say it, it was the very first impression, literally his first footfall on Belgian soil as a journalist, because uh, Father Stanley, then a Euro MP, of course, um, had invited my wife and I for lunch that Sunday, and uh, without saying why. I mean, in fact, why, why would he? He just invited us for lunch. And when we got there, halfway through lunch, there was a, the sound of a car on the gravel drive, and uh, out stepped Boris uh, in the most bizarre sort of... Uh, well, Bermuda shorts would be kind. I mean, they were really? baggy shorts. Uh, I think it must have been summer, I can't remember. The ones that you're jogging in now, yes. those kind of shorts. Yes, exactly, exactly looking like that. So that's what he looked like. So that, that's the image I had as he stepped out of the... Uh, the car and he joined us for lunch and, and uh, I thought oh, that's very interesting Stanley's son's uh, arrived to join us he's obviously spending the weekend here or something and as the conversation went on a little bit it dawned on me that Boris was here uh, to work uh, and funny enough the press corps had been uh, wondering who would replace the Daily Telegraph correspondent right. Venerable Alan Osborne um, yeah. so that, that but no, that this was not normally you know our gossip is fairly good in there and if you like Fleet Street sense, we, we know what's going on, but people say, well, I wonder who they're going to send. You know, they'll obviously be a senior journalist. And it suddenly dawned on me that lunchtime as Stanley introduced us to Boris and, and talked about it. But Stanley had not told us in advance, please come to lunch to meet my son who's joining your press corps. But so I actually said, well, as we were talking, I said, Boris, are you don't tell me you're going to be the Telegraph correspondent. He said, yes, old boy, yeah, 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 I'm, 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 yeah big move, big, big, big. Big thing for me, that. And Stanley said, "Oh, Jeff, because they speak exactly the same or did." Right. Oh, uh, sorry, Jeff says Stanley. Yeah, I did. I forgot to mention the purpose of the lunch was to, to to meet Boris because you've been here a long time. You can show him the ropes. And so I was quite sorry. And I said, "Stanley, you 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 didn't mention it. Doesn't matter. It's just bizarre that you didn't mention it." That, so you see that the Johnson the right. the Johnson uh, style. Is, well, before we go talk about his his writing style and it, and his way of concocting stories which is going to be the main theme maybe of this podcast you you've already indulged in a very accurate impersonation of, of, of boris johnson at a very young age he's 24 right i think roughly yes, when he yeah. uh, arrived in brussels so the, is, was he already the, the boris johnson we know could you see the first signs of boris johnson we know today this this personality was it already already fully formed or in the process of being formed yes yeah frankly what you see today is very similar to to, to what i saw that day, right. without the prime ministerial uh, speech, of but um, <laughs> no, he was ah, he was an amiable chap. Right, he was sort of he he was a bit bumbling, it seemed yeah. in a in a rather endearing way, which is why people sort of rather took to him, and, and it seemed quite genuine, because as I say, when he started talking about uh, being here as a journalist, he he would put his hand through his blonde hair and, and look down a bit. Well, yeah, it's all it's all going to be quite well, tricky. I mean, you know, it's all yeah, new to yeah. me. So he gave that air of, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm sure with your help I'll get through, which right. is always rather endearing. And 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 subsequently we did. Uh, he didn't have a car or anything. I would drive him to the European Councils in uh, right. in Luxembourg or Strasbourg, and so we we spent a lot of time together in those first few weeks. Okay, let's let's get down to this. There's almost a mythology that has now been built up over decades that 
um, Boris Johnson concocted, fabricated stories about prawn flavour crisps and so on, Ben Bernardus. Jeff, I mean, to what extent did he sort of start this knocking Brussels, you know, knocking the EU stories, or was, was it already in train by his predecessors before he arrived? Boris Johnson did not invent or anything close to invent Euroscepticism. He did not invent the knocking story. He joined a press corps where, if you remember back when I came here, right. uh, we had a new Euro- directly elected European Parliament for the first time. Yeah, and his dad was a member. It, <laughs> exactly. Right, but that, I, that's not the link I was going to make. It's okay. more that in the Parliament, at that time, it was, in a, in a British sense, it was the Labour Party who were anti. Ah, yeah. Now, I'm not blaming the Labour Party for anything. All I'm saying is the culture of, of wanting to sort of knock... Uh, what was happening in Brussels tended to come sometimes from the Labour MPs in the European Parliament. I remember the very delightful Barbara Castle, who was probably the only national figure. Um, And and she was railing against the common agricultural policy. That was her political role, if you like. So way, way before uh, Boris had left school almost, I mean, there was not a culture of negativity, Mm. but in the mix of reporting on these institutions, Mm. clearly there was good and bad, uh, silly, daft, a touch of yes minister, if you like, about Mm. the way the institutions worked or the bureaucracy. Um, So he joined a press call where already um, sometimes news stories would, would, uh, well, news stories is putting it a bit highly, frankly, but stories would emerge yeah. through the lobbying system or, or indeed from officials who said, oh, look, we've, we've just passed this rule and it looks a bit crazy to us. But it was no more... that Those kind of stories were no more crazy than, than the bits of um, uh, bureaucratic uh, bumbling, if you like, that, right. that Yes Minister highlighted so well a decade earlier yes. in the series. You know, that's, yeah. that's all that was happening and it was occasional. What happened when... There were two things about Boris Johnson... Boris arrived here, albeit at the age of 24, on a higher level than the rest of us. And I don't mean that intellectually. In the sense that his editor, Max Hastings of the Daily Telegraph, sent him to Brussels to have a go at being a reporter in Brussels. That was his mandate. Well, it was really, in the sense that he was already going to be going back to be an associate editor, of which there are many. It's not, you know. (laughs) But but what I'm saying is he, he was operating at a slightly higher level than us. He was effectively a columnist because he was an excellent, still is, a very good, he has a great writing style. But he told me, uh, just in conversation, it was of no importance really, but he said, it'll be interesting to do this sort of reporting, Mark, because, you know, I've, I've come here to see, Max said, go and see how it's all done. And all right. Now, so he joined that culture, but with that added and enviable ability to say, oh, I want a half page for a feature on this. Now, and, as, and you get it. Well, it, it, yes, I mean, he did. Well, if you, if you were to scour the Telegraph for that period, you'll yeah. see he had that, that window into writing opinion pieces that normal reporters don't have. You have, you know, uh, more experienced people to do that. But Boris was able to do that. And his writing style became more, not just reporting stuff. And if you have to report stuff, you have to report, okay, it may be negative, but you need to have balance with the positive. Boris took on the mantle of being an opinion former. As well as being a reporter at the same yes. time. Well, in fact, he, he more or less was, almost the way he wrote the news stories, if you look back at them, they had that sort of, this is my opinion kind of um, thing. And he... And it was so telling when he was once on um, Desert Island Discs, the, you know, the radio programme where you pick your eight discs and 
talk about a little bit about your life. And he said when he started writing these stories, these, as we see them, knocking stories or the negative stories, the yeah. jokey stories yeah. about Europe, he said it was like hurling bricks across a, a wall and hearing the sound of smashing glass on the other side. And this, he said, in terms, gave him a, a sense of power as a journalist. Now, how much he fed on that and started looking for the negative stories, the apparently negative stories, other than what we call the Ben Bonanno yeah. cucumber stories. I don't know, but he certainly went way beyond the brief of a reporter. You're saying so he joined a long line of illustrious Eurobashing uh, journalists based in Brussels working for those kind of newspapers like The Telegraph and others. Um, but then there's also this, this, this view, which is that he, he actually made up stories. He wasn't just um, uh, being a, a Eurobasher like many journalists were at the time. He was actually fabricating stories. Is that part of the mythology? He didn't actually invent stories per se to give him some credit. It's difficult to answer, but I, I can give you, I'll give you a little anecdote in a minute which, which suggests that he did make them up. But broadly speaking, he took stories, as we all did, but in telling them, he would, I think, willfully omit any, any counter-argument that this was a, this particular issue, whatever it may be, hmm. was valid because. In other words, you can, of course, yeah. you can all write partial stories because it spoils the story if you have too many people saying oh oh here's a document which proves that this is not true yeah um and i i think he had he did get away with crossing the line a little bit for should we say purposes of, of, of sort of titillating the public with yes minister type yeah. stories about you know um idiot bureaucrats you know doing stuff and i think he i don't think he was being reined in as he should have been by his foreign editor uh, the editor right. the telegraph liked this stuff i think they were prepared to say good old boris his writing style was 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 fine and, and they liked this stuff and the readership liked seeing it and he was appealing to that sort of euro bashing yeah. faction now i'm not suggesting that when he came here someone said boris look for the negative stories right. i'm not sure they did i think he with, with confidence way beyond his years mm. and a background, shall we say, in journalism, a brief one, where he got away with, well, he'd been sacked by the Times. It, uh, just Be his, yeah, before he yes, arrived before, in Brussels. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. for, for, for making up a quote which came from one of his close, close family, or I think it was his godfather, I'm not sure. Um, so he, he seemed to, I think he already felt sort of untouchable in a way, and I don't know why. Did he have any kind of contagious effect on the rest of the press corps? By that I mean I heard stories over the years that other journalists who were there at the same time as as, as Boris Johnson, and you were different, of course, because you had a, different, a particular role as the press association, the wire service, where other journalists would be called up by an irate editor or news editor or foreign editor saying, editor saying, why haven't you got the same story that Boris Johnson has got? And they'd have to say, well, actually, it's not a, a real story. Was that, is, that a, is that part of mythology? Or? No, that's absolutely true. Now, let's get it in perspective. He was here for, what, for four, five years, I think? Right. Um, this would happen occasionally, and it would happen to me too, because you know, obviously, the news agency tends to—it's—it's—it's raison d'etre is really to tell the story straight down the line. We're not looking for sensationalism; it's just telling the story. But of course, if—and it did happen occasionally—Boris Johnson had a story uh, in the Telegraph, uh, because of course, the first editions of the paper arrive are in London late that evening. Of course, the phone rings, and we say, "Jeff, um, there's a great story in the Telegraph. You—you you haven't done it for the while." Can you check it? Yeah. And then, and honestly, this is true, I did get to the stage of saying, if I'd been disturbed in my sleep, has it got Johnson's name on it? And they <laughs> said, uh, just, I'll just check. 
<laughs> oh yeah, Boris Boris Johnson. Yeah, I said okay, leave it. It's not true. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't go professionally. I wouldn't go that far. I would simply say leave it till the morning. I'll right. check it out okay. in the morning. And if I may, just go back what you, you said. Did he actually make up stories? Let me answer that by giving you this very brief anecdote. As we all recall, the Berlimont uh, was full of asbestos, um, uh, and they decided it needed to be renovated, strip out the asbestos, make it a safer building, and it was closed, as you recall, for I mean a good few years. Yeah. A story appeared on the front page of the Telegraph one morning, um, saying that the Berlimont was going to be blown up including in the presence of British sappers, as the story said, you know, our, our chaps, British chaps. You, you see where the sort of metaphor's going, really. The, this edifice, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the steeple, the church steeple, if you like, of the European dream, was going to be blown up because it was unsafe and full of asbestos. And the office quite rightly rang me, and I, I know for a fact most of my other colleagues saying, this is a great story. They're going to blow up the Bellymore, you know, and all the, that implies. Um... And I remember saying to the officer, what, what? I said, look, I think we wouldn't, if that was the case, first of all, probably it would be a general press statement, and I've never heard of such a thing. Has it got Johnson's name on it? And they said, yes, it's got Boris Johnson. I said, leave it. The next morning, I saw Boris mid-morning on the way to the, the Daily Commission briefing, where one would have asked that question, mm. can you can you tell us the truth about this Daily Telegraph story? But I saw Boris in advance, and I, and I said, Boris, my sleep was disturbed last night by this, st this story of yours. Um, uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know about this. I mean, where did you get this from? He says, oh, did, uh, didn't, didn't you know? Boy? Said, no, 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 I didn't. I mean, it, it just seems fantastical. This is, in what way, old boy? I said, Boris, look, and I actually said, I remember saying this. I said, Boris, you are far cleverer than I will ever be. <laughs> but answer me this. What is the one thing you are most unlikely to do to a very large building packed with asbestos? And he said, what do you mean, oh boy, what? And I just indicated with my fingers, blowing it up, <laughs> this building rising into the air. And then with my fingers trickling downwards, I indicated the asbestos dust falling across Brussels and far beyond. Yeah. And he just looked and grinned a little bit. And he said, more or less the words, of course, I can't remember exactly, but it's words along the lines, oh, crikes, oh, golly, yes. Good point. Good point. <laughs> and that was it. Now, you asked me if he makes up stories. Where The, the question is, if he made it up entirely, yeah. where did he get the idea? Yeah. Because he must have known, well, that is not going to be sustainable. But the thing is, we're now talking about it all those years yeah. on. And although people know it was, was not true, not remotely true, um, and indeed, as we know, the, the building has been restored and is... Uh, despite Boris's efforts still standing. Well, let's bring this in the last part of the podcast, Jeff, to the, to the present day. Boris Johnson, now a former journalist, member of your esteemed profession, is now the, the British Prime Minister. And you're also, he's also known as a great wit. As you are, you're the mastermind behind the annual Brussels Press Review, uh, that totemic event every year. Um, first of all, as a, as a fellow humorist, maybe that doesn't make you cringe as a... Um, how do you rate his humour and are you where and to what extent do you think his, his humour is sort of spontaneous off the cuff or is it sort of premeditated? Boris's humour is, is not that of a stand-up comic or anything. I'm not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just not like that. The, the, the humour is what I said earlier. He, he, he was always a very endearing personality mm, right. because he had this uh, genuine, I think, sort of slightly bumbling air about him, albeit obviously a highly educated and clever chap. 
But he, I, I wouldn't say he's not the sort of chap who stands at a bar and, and tells sort of fifteen one-liner jokes that had right. you had you doubling up with laughter. It was more just his entire, and uh, people can see this in, in, uh, if they watch him now with more interest as his prime minister. Um, he's very good with the the, the quicker side. In response to, would you think a spontaneous? So, more yes, but yeah, broadly yeah, speaking, yeah. yeah, no, he's very yeah. good at things like that. But it wasn't humour. Uh, as I say, it's, it's hard to pin down. He was just a, a jovial chap, and, and the, you know, he's now talking as prime minister. We've got to be mm. optimistic. Can do, and that sort of imbued his his sort of whole uh, personality. I think so. I wouldn't say, oh, I need a good laugh. Let's go to Boris. Mm. But in his company, partly, I must say. He was a jovial chap in good company, but it may be that when we were giggling sometimes, it was slightly at his style rather than because of it. You know, this, you know, this genuine sort of, I don't know, almost out of a, a, a sort of comic book, Mr. Bumpton Tufton, you know, yeah, jolly, hello, chap, what's going on? You know? well, well, since you've known the guy over 30 years now, and you see him now at the dispatch box and where else, and as you know, there were a lot of talk, a lot of talk during the, the leadership hustings, particularly, he had to be on a short leash, he had to be slightly, you know, calmed down and not show his quote-unquote true self by all his humour because it would look, wouldn't look statesmanlike. Now he's Prime Minister, do you think that he, he can't, won't be able to help himself because he's naturally prone to a little wittier side, spontaneous wittier side, or on the contrary, do you think he and his minders will have to will take the view that he has to be a bit more Churchillian or statesmanlike, and the kind of bumbling, funny, witty Boris Johnson will be a thing of the past? Well, the answer's already there. If you've, if you've watched him uh, closely since he's, he's uh, in the run-up through the hustings to becoming Prime Minister and beyond, um, he is still throwing in those little lines. I mean, to be honest, there was one which was outrageous and he ought to apologise, and that was waving those kippers. Let's not go into right. the whole story. But it was complete nonsense. And what was wonderful to, 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 in seeing that was there is a, 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 an audio-visual encapsulation of Boris's journalistic style in Brussels. Right. He's waving things. Someone has said, here, Boris, this, this is... This, these kippers have got to have a nice pack with them because of silly Brussels regulations. And he will go and air that... Um, as a candidate for prime minister to God knows how many million people. Yeah. And it's complete and utter tosh. And although it's funny, and this is what we come back to, yes, that was funny, yeah. but it was also outrageous yeah. in that, that role to just go on stage. And some people, I think maybe Jeremy Hunt, let's say in a bizarre world, Hunt had done that same thing. Yeah. They could say, this guy's not fit. You he's cannot not, have him. He's not and, Boris, and then we do, we do what we've always done with Boris from the moment he arrived in Brussels. Oh, well done, old chap. You know, even when he's done something stupid, and I'll tell you for a fact, on more than one occasion, in a jocular sort of way, in Boris's company, after one of his weird stories, I've said, Boris, I don't know how you're still here. Genuinely, I would have been sacked overnight yeah. for the, having this unsubstantiated nonsense. And I, was, I, was, I was laughing as I watched him there in his new role in a, in a well-fitting suit, by the way, for the first time, yeah. and saying, these kippers, are, this is what we'll escape from. Complete tosh! I'm shouting at the TV screen. Think, Boris, you're at it again, and you're getting away with it. It's remarkable to behold. Right. Well, we have to leave it there, Jeff Mead. Thank you very much for your time.